So we're looking at what renewal does for our life in Christ. We all need renewal. We all long for something uh, to change in our lives because we know that our lives aren't fully what they could be. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. Thanks, Pastor. Thanks. Well, good morning, everyone, and Happy New Year. Great to be here with you all today. You know, as I was preparing for this message and thinking about the new year, I wanted to ask you all a question. Have you ever wanted a fresh start? Whether it's in your relationships or in your career or the general grind of life, there are moments when we all long for a change, when we second-guess the decisions that led us down the path that brought us to where we are in the first place. Sometimes we decide to act on those feelings to get a fresh start by cutting ties with everything that came before. But perhaps what we really need to satisfy that desire for a fresh start is renewal. This week I read about the wackiest idea for a museum I've ever heard. Uh, there was a couple, an ex-couple in Croatia's capital city of Zagreb that laughed about setting up a museum that would showcase the objects from their failed relationship. And so the Museum of Failed Relationships was born. But soon the idea caught on, and they began collecting items from friends and visitors to their gallery. They described it as a museum about love, only it was upside down. Some of the items on display were a shiny new axe used to splinter the furniture of an ex-lover. Uh, another was a crushed lawn gnome that was hurled at the departing car of their husband. While the items were personal, the feelings associated with them are universal. They give a peek at how we often try to find love and often lose it. But we're talking about earthly love. There is a love that never fails, a love that keeps getting better and better. In 2018, uh, journalist Rainsford Stauffer wrote about the millennial generation to which she belonged and to which I belong as well. At the time, 59% of Americans aged 18 to 35, lived somewhere beside their hometown. About 80% had moved once or more, and 41% said that their current stay was temporary. 26% said that their primary motive for moving, get this, was a fresh start or a change of lifestyle. Stauffer reflected on the wanderlust of my, ge my generation and characterized it as the desire to find oneself by refusing to put down roots, by refusing to play it safe. And then she reflected on her own experience in this way. Listen to this. Each new beginning meant new people, new jobs, and new situations, which had to be started from scratch each time. It was supposed to feel like freedom. Instead, it felt like being lost and empty. Because I was perpetually starting over, I lacked any ties to people to share new discoveries with. Finding yourself, finding home, finding love only works if we give our discoveries a chance to strengthen their hold on us. In other words, as normal and understandable as our desire for a fresh start is, it isn't always the best thing for us, especially if our understanding of a fresh start involves cutting ties with everything that came before. The good news is that there is a love that never fails and a fresh start that can satisfy our desires. And so that isn't found in the things and methods of this broken world. It's found in covenant with God. Now, many of us who have read scripture have come across the word covenant before, but do you know what the word covenant means? Well, the root of the word for covenant is the Latin conveniri, which means essentially coming together. Now, covenant itself means kind of a, um, 
like a legal binding contract between two parties, but the root is relational. So at the very core, the word covenant means coming together. That's what it means, coming together. I like to think of covenant in this way. I've, I've explained it in this way in some of the classes I've taught before that coming together essentially means, covenant means a way of life together with God and with others. Take marriage, for instance, as the most common covenant relationship. Almost 10 years ago, I remember saying I will to these words. Will you have this woman to be your wife, to live together in holy marriage? Will you love her, comfort her, honor and keep her in sickness and in health, and forsaking all others, be faithful to her as long as you both shall live? You see, when Teresa and I got married, I agreed to love, honor, and comfort her exclusively, no matter what life brings. And she promised to do the same thing. And though I don't always live out my covenant as well as I'd like, I agreed to do the very best that I could with God's help. These were the terms of our coming together. Marriage is only one example of a modern covenant, but at the core, it's an example of what it means when we come together. When we look at the entire sweep of Scripture, it's all about the ways that God and people have come together throughout the ages. First, there was the intimacy of the Garden of Eden. Then there was the brokenness of our relationship with God when sin entered the world. Then God set apart a people for himself. Out of these people emerged a Savior. And it's through that Savior we're reunited with God now in part and fully in the life to come. Look at how John, the author of Revelation, described what our eventual coming together with God in the next life will look like. Revelation 21, verse 3. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. What an amazing image. Our true home is in God's presence with God's people because God's love is the love that never fails. It's the love that we search for our entire lives. And despite our desire for a fresh start that can often lead us on the wrong path, that can lead us in ignorance away from that love that we're searching for, God offers us the fresh start we really need. We see it all throughout Scripture as God establishes a covenant, coming together with those who put their trust in him and renewing the covenant when we break it. But to experience the renewal that's, that satisfies our hearts for a fresh start, we need to understand a few things about covenant. So church family, what does scripture teach us about covenant? The first thing scripture teaches us about covenant is this, it's not all about you. It's not all about you. We're going way back to the days of Abraham, back when he was called Abram, uh, in the early chapters of the book of Genesis. You may recall that Abraham was the ancestor of the entire nation of Israel. God chose him out of all the people on the earth to be in a special relationship with that would bless the entire world. Genesis 12, verse 1. The Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. We don't know exactly how God communicated this to Abraham. Maybe it was uh, through a vision or an angel appeared to him. However it happened, Abram was presented with a command and a promise. The covenant we have with God always has a command and a promise involved. 
The most obvious example I can think of is the Great Commission. Jesus commands his disciples to go and make disciples of every nation so that they would live in a way that pleases God. And the promise? Jesus will be with them even to the end of all things. The promise Abram received went well beyond his personal interests. Sure, he was promised blessing and a son that would carry on his name, but he was also promised that all the people on the earth would be blessed through him. Now, did you notice how the promise to Abram's covenant with God is tied to the commands that Jesus gives his disciples? The promise to Abram is that all peoples on the earth would be blessed through him. The command to Jesus' followers is to make disciples of every nation. And the promise to those disciples is that Jesus will be with us. God's greatest promise to us is his presence with us. It's personal, but it always directs us beyond ourselves. In a sense, covenant expands the boundaries of our world and enriches it with possibilities far greater than we could conceive of if, when our focus is turned inward. The truth is that covenant is not all about you. It's primarily about God, secondarily about others, and finally about us. The second thing that scripture teaches us about covenant is that everyone has a place and a contribution. Fast forward hundreds of years later. The Israelites, Abraham's own descendants, are enslaved in Egypt, and they're brought out of slavery by Moses. Moses leads them into the desert of Sinai. They come to a mountain where God reveals his presence to the people. There Moses receives the Ten Commandments, and there Moses is charged with building the tabernacle, a kind of portable temple that would house the presence of God in the wilderness among the people. But Moses can't do this on his own. He puts out a call for help to everyone to contribute to the building up of the tabernacle. And here's what happens. Exodus 35, 21. Everyone who is willing and whose heart moved them came and brought an offering to the Lord for the work on the tent of meeting, for all its service, and for the sacred garments. When the people came out of slavery in Egypt, they were filled with fear. As bad as their situation had been, at least it was familiar. But they quickly came to understand that God was forming a place for them there in the desert. But it wasn't just a place for them. It was a place for God to dwell with them. When we realize we have a place with God and God's people, it moves us to contribute to what God is doing in the world. The contributors of the tabernacle included men and women, young and old, leaders and followers. Some had the skills to weave the curtains for the sanctuary. Others were skilled in woodwork and in precious metals. Still others contributed by bringing the materials that they had so the craftsmen could complete the tabernacle. The people collectively gave of their time, their talent, and their resources to build the tabernacle. Here's the thing. These people caught the vision of what was really going on. They weren't just building a structure there in the wilderness. They were building a community with God at the center. The vision was so clear to them that the leaders building the tabernacle actually came to Moses and said, you've got to tell the people to stop bringing us stuff. We have more than enough to complete the job. In fact, Moses told the people, he said, look, this is really generous, but you've got to stop. We've got everything that we need. You see, the people were simply acting out of their desire to contribute to something greater than themselves. This is an image of what the people of God can be when we are being faithful stewards of all that we are and all that we have, of our time, our talent, and our resources. 
It's like any healthy family where we have both benefits and responsibilities. When we realize we have a place and a contribution to make, there will always be more than enough to go around. The key in this story is that the people didn't give out of a sense of obligation or because they were supposed to or it was the right thing to do. They gave because they had grateful hearts for all that God had done for them and because of who God was. Covenant is about recognizing our place with God and God's people and contributing with willing hearts to the growth of God's kingdom. The third thing that scripture teaches us about covenant is it involves putting away our idols. Fast forward again from the days of Moses to the end of Joshua's life. Joshua was Moses' protege and the leader of Israel after Moses passed away. He leads the Israelites into the promised land. He leads many battles over quite a few years there in the promised land and later challenges the people to commit their hearts to the God who made their life there in the promised land possible in the first place. As he's speaking to the people, he puts out this challenge to them, and that's found in Joshua 24, verse 14. So fear the Lord and serve him wholeheartedly. Put away forever the idols of your ancestors worshipped when they lived beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt. Serve the Lord alone, but if you refuse to serve the Lord, then choose today whom you will serve. Would you prefer the gods of your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates? Or will it be the gods of the Amorites in whose land you now live? But as for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. Joshua knew his people well. He knew that they were flirting with other gods. We each have desires that compete with our devotion for God that threaten to displace him from the center of our lives, from the center of our hearts. Listen to what the pastor Tim Keller wrote Uh, about idolatry. He said, sin isn't only about doing bad things. It is fundamentally making good things into ultimate things. Sin is is building your life and meaning on anything, even a very good thing, more than on God. Whatever we build our life on will drive us and enslave us. Sin is primarily idolatry. So if you build your life and center your life on pleasure and gratification, you'll find yourself getting addicted to something. If you center your life on a noble cause, you'll divide the world into good and bad and demonize your opponents. If you center your life on your spouse, you'll be emotionally dependent, jealous, and controlling. If you center your life on your work and career, you'll be a driven workaholic, unavailable to your family and friends. You get the picture. Joshua called his people to make a choice. We can either flirt with our idols and commit spiritual adultery, or we can put them away and serve the Lord wholeheartedly. It's as simple as that. And yet we all know how hard it can be to put away our idols. Yet put them away we must because the alternative is worse than the momentary pain we feel when we put aside and forsake those things that so capture our hearts. Because if you really want a fresh start, you need to... Put away your idols. The fourth thing scripture teaches us about covenant is that renewal is necessary to remain God's people. Now we're really moving ahead about 600 years after the days of Joshua. Israel has split into two competing nations, north and south. The northern kingdoms eventually conquered and its people displaced, leaving only the southern kingdom. 
Well, one day, a new king named Josiah takes the throne. After a long period of kings and leaders led the people astray, led the people away from God. In fact, it was so bad in Josiah's day that the covenant with God was all but forgotten, at least until the day when the high priest happened to find the book of the law that was hidden away in the temple. When he read it, he brought it to King Josiah, and Josiah realized how far his people had fallen. Josiah immediately acted to make changes in accordance with God's will. One of these actions was to renew the covenant with God. We can find that in 2 Kings 23, verse 3. The king stood by the pillar and renewed the covenant in the presence of the Lord to follow the Lord and keep his commands, statutes, and decrees with all his heart and all his soul, thus confirming the words of the covenant written in this book. Then all the people pledged themselves to the covenant. Over a long period of time, the people have forgotten God. And when people forget about God, they forget about who they're supposed to be. They become shaped by those idols that they've chosen to indulge, the idols that they should have put away, but became, became enslaved to. And ultimately, when we become enslaved to those idols, when we forget who we're supposed to be, when we forget who God is, we lead others to do the same. As a result, Israel produced generations who had made no commitment to God because they didn't really know God, and they certainly didn't have a covenant relationship with God. We need to renew our covenant with God if we hope to remain God's people. This can take a few different forms. One obvious form is communal. Josiah and the people represent this, a single moment in time where the people agree together to put God at the center. Another example of this is, is today, in, in churches today, when we have a covenant renewal service, such as this one. And another example is when people come forward to be baptized publicly or to reaffirm their baptismal covenant, which, as we'll see next week. The other form is individual and daily. In other words, every day when we wake up, we have a choice to make. Will we, by our engagement in scripture, prayer, and other spiritual disciplines, choose to follow God, commit ourselves to God? Or will we commit ourselves to those idols that we chase after? Will we commit ourselves to pursuing that which is most important to us? And that leads the, to the fifth thing that Scripture teaches us about covenant, that as we renew, we are being renewed. We're jumping ahead over 600 years into the future. The long-awaited Messiah has come, and the forces of evil tried their best to destroy him, but Jesus Christ won the victory over sin and death by dying on the cross and rising again to new life out of the grave. After he ascended into heaven, the Spirit was poured out on the day of Pentecost and the church was born. Churches formed all across the Roman Empire. And one of those churches was located in the heart of Rome. Paul wrote to this church these words about the powerful impact renewal has on each of us. Romans 12, verse 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your minds, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. As we renew our commitment to God, we are being renewed. Let me give you an example. In one of his books, Andy Stanley tells the story of a man named Joe. Um, 
Andy ran into Joe at a Starbucks one day when Andy was getting coffee, and Joe came up and introduced himself and said, uh, you know, I've got a real problem with God and the church. And then he, he talked about the difficulties he had been through in his life. He had just gone through a really nasty divorce, um, and he really was struggling with his sobriety. Um, he, he had been abusing alcohol for a number of years. So he was, he was struggling. He was alone. He had just gotten divorced. So Andy connected him with another pastor at his church, and he didn't see Joe again for several months. Well, the next time Andy ran into Joe, the most incredible thing happened. His demeanor had completely changed. He no longer seemed angry. In fact, he had a big smile on his face. He was carrying a Bible. He was carrying around a book on marriage and a notebook. And he excitedly told Andy that he was getting married next week to his ex-wife, Susan, and that the pastor who had helped him was officiating the service. Joe had let go of his anger and put his trust in God. His transformation was so compelling, in fact, that his soon-to-be wife, Susan, became a believer. You see, Joe's unresolved anger had eroded his faith to the point that it was almost non-existent. But with a little guidance, he renewed his commitment to God. In doing so, he was able to release his anger and take a, uh, and examine closely what was rattling around inside his heart and make changes to his life. By doing this, his mind was renewed. Because when we renew, we are being renewed. Church family, here's the bottom line. Here's what the, the most important thing to take away from this message today. And that's this. We all need to be renewed. All of us. That's the only thing that can satisfy our desire for a fresh start. In just a few minutes, we'll have an opportunity as a church to renew our covenant with God together. But before we do that, I don't want to misrepresent what it means to renew. Again, it isn't just something we do once as a church. This is something we must do individually each and every day. So church family, I want to share with you three ways that you can renew your covenant with God every single day. The first way to renew your covenant with God is by loving God. You can probably sense where this might be going, but humor me. How do we love God? Jesus tells us how. John 14, 21. Those who accept my commandments and obey them are the ones who love me. And because they love me, my Father will love them, and I will love them and reveal myself to each of them. It comes down to this. If we really love God, will live in a way that pleases God. This involves doing the things that Jesus did, saying the things that Jesus said, following his example and his teachings. In other words, loving God requires us to set aside time for God each day to get into Scripture and to apply what we read to our lives. And just as every covenant includes a command and a promise, so does this one as well. The promise for those who love God by living in accordance with God's will is that they're loved by Jesus. In fact, Jesus reveals himself in amazing ways to those who love him. Maybe you've experienced this in your own life, how Jesus reveals himself as we love him. The second way to renew your covenant with God every day is by loving others. Not too surprising, right? After calling his disciples to love God by obeying his commands and adopting his way of life, Jesus says this to them in John chapter 15, verse 12. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. 
you are my friends if you do what I command you. Here we have another command and promise. Jesus commands us to love one another just as Jesus loves us, to even lay down our lives for each other. And the promise is that we're friends of Jesus if we love others as Jesus loves us. You know, personally, I love how Jesus says, love others as I have loved you. Because frankly, I I always thought that if I love my neighbor as myself, I'm not loving my neighbor very well because I'm still learning how to love myself, flaws and all. But to love as Jesus loves me gives me a better benchmark for the kind of love I need to have for others. And it makes me realize that I can't do this by my own power. None of us by our own power can love as Jesus loves us. Only the Spirit of God in us can love like that. So if you want to renew your covenant with God each day, if you want a fresh start, ask the Spirit of God to fill your heart with the love of Jesus for other people. And that leads to the third way to renew your covenant with God. Surprise, surprise, by living out the gospel life. Remember how I brought up the Great Commission earlier? Well, here it is again. Matthew chapter 28, verse 19. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this. I am with you always even to the end of the age. The command is to make disciples of all nations, teaching them essentially to love God, love others, and live out the gospel life. Living out the gospel life means making more disciples who will do the same thing, meaning teaching others to love God and love others. The promise is Jesus will be with us, even to the end of the age, that Jesus will never leave us, that he'll be with us forever until that great day when the new heavens and the new earth are revealed, until that day when we stand fully in God's presence, until that day of full renewal that we now only know in part. John Claypool told a story of his friend, John Rogers, who got a late-night call from the bus station in Washington. It was a young man who had once been an acolyte at John's church. He had fallen on hard times. In fact, he was abusing drugs and had lost contact with his family and was now living on the streets. He had called John to ask for help. So John got in his car and he braved the snow-covered roads. It was around Christmas time. And he went and picked up this young man. During dinner, Rogers asked him if he had ever asked Jesus to be a help in his troubles. The young man said no, but shared that he would once he gets himself together and starts coming back to church. Well, Rogers had this to say to him. If you think that you have to get yourself together on your own and then come to Christ, you'll never do it. It's not going to happen. You're going to have to come to Christ as you are, and then he will give you the strength to start getting things back together. And so it is with us. We all need to be renewed. Church family, don't wait. Today is the day of renewal. In just a minute, we'll start with prayer. Hopefully the sermon engaged your mind just as I hope the prayer engages your heart. We'll enter the inner life of God together and with one mind and heart, we'll be praying that God will use our witness in 2023 in ways that will be transformative, in ways that will reach people's hearts for the Lord. God will make it possible 
through our recommitment to him today to make a massive impact in Fairfax Station and all over the world as we recommit to him, as we commit to love God, love others, and live out the gospel life. If you have your notes in front of you, I want to invite you to pull them out at this time. We'll begin by reading the prayer of confession and speaking the words that are in bold, and then we'll renew the covenant. But before we do that, I want you to look at the covenant prayer first. Pastor John used to call this the world's most dangerous prayer. Listen to this, and you'll need to decide if you can pray it at the very end. It goes like this. I am no longer my own but yours. Put me to what you will. Place me with whom you will. Put me to doing. Put me to suffering. Let me be put to work for you or set aside for you. Praised for you or criticized for you. Let me be full. Let me be empty. Let me have all things. Let me have nothing. I freely and fully surrender all things to your glory and service. And now, O wonderful and holy God, creator, redeemer, and sustainer, you are mine, and I am yours. So be it. And the covenant which I have made on earth, let it also be made in heaven. Amen. Covenant is all about putting the most important relationship that we can have in our lives first. This is our chance to say, God, we trust you with all that we are and all that we have. We're going to walk faithfully with you in a brand new year. So church family, would you join me for our prayer of confession? God, our Father, you have shown us the way to life in Jesus. We confess with shame our slowness to love him more and our reluctance to follow him. You have spoken and called us, but we have failed to listen. You have shown us your glory, but we have been too blind to see it. We have received countless blessings, but have given you little thanks. We are unworthy of your changeless love. Now let's say this part together. God, have mercy on me according to your overwhelming love and kindness. Forgive me, Lord, and cleanse me of my sin. Create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit within me. Amen. And now let us commit ourselves in covenant to Christ as his servants. Let us give ourselves to him so that we may fully belong to him. Jesus Christ has left us with many services to be done. Some of these services are easy and honorable, but some are difficult and disgraceful. Some line up with our desires and interests. Others are contrary to both. In some we please both Christ and ourselves, but then there are other works where we cannot please Christ except by denying ourselves. And so if you would like to pray the most dangerous prayer with me, we will do so right now. I am no longer my own, but yours. Put me to what you will, with whom you will. Put me to doing, put me to suffering. Let me be put to work for you, or set aside for you. Praised for you, or criticized for you. Let me be full, let me be empty. Let me have all things, let me have nothing. I freely and fully surrender all things to your glory and service. And now, O wonderful and holy God, creator, redeemer, and sustainer, you are mine and I am yours. So be it. And the covenant which I have made on earth, 
let it also be made in heaven. Amen and amen.